0: Hey, this is noah levine founder of against the stream refuge recovery and dharma punks thanks for tuning into the podcast i hope you're enjoying the dharma together may we create a positive change on this planet if you feel moved to leave a donation there's a link in the show notes may our paths cross soon welcome to against the stream how many people here for the first time tonight welcome to all of you welcome back to everyone else welcome to anybody who's joining us on Zoom for the first time. Because Against the Stream is a Buddhist meditation center committed to helping you develop community. Uh, It's a central part of Buddhism, um, not just meditating, not just studying, but connecting with each other and practicing with each other in communication. Uh, That's when the the Buddha talked about taking refuge in the Sangha. The Sangha means us, people that get together to try to wake up, try to end suffering in our lives. So I like to begin class by uh, giving you a prompt and asking you to talk to each other. At home, I put you in Zoom rooms, breakout rooms on Zoom. And and here in person, you get to just talk to people. Um, Last week, the topic was fear and how the dharma can you know how natural and normal fear is part of our human experience um, and how much suffering there can be an unnecessary uh, confusion fear can create in our lives tonight i'd like to uh, flip it and talk about faith and um, share with you some of the things the buddha talked about faith and the um importance of, of uh, having faith and what that even means. So
1: I'll, uh, I'll get rid of that. Start by asking you a question
0: and then, so reflect on this question and then I'll ask you to break into small groups.
1: Uh, so reflect on why you're here tonight. What is it that happened in your life that was
0: so fucking terrible <laughs> that it's come to this? <laughs> and maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, well, shot too much heroin and here I am. And for some of you, um, it's, it wasn't that bad, but something motivated you to come here. Something in your life wasn't quite satisfactory and led you to seek something what what could help me suffer less what could help me and there's some part of each one of us that had some faith that felt hopeful or inspired or hopeless enough to listen to somebody who said try meditation or a book you read that inspired you you know like when you were in high school and you read Siddhartha or, you know, when you were, you know, on acid and you read Be Here Now or whatever it was that happened in your life that said, I'm going to try meditation. I'm going to start meditating. And for some of you, that was decades ago, but you're still there's That, that faith that this is still the right thing to do. I'm going to keep meditating. I'm getting the benefits from it. I'm going to keep connecting with community. Some, there might be people I didn't ask. I mean, new people. I didn't ask if anybody has never meditated before and you're just here
1: hopeful that it will help, but you don't know yet. But something gives us faith.
0: And reflecting for you, faith that this will work, that it's worth doing. The meditation practice, uh, Buddhist principles, the Eightfold Path, uh, is a
1: worthy endeavor. There's some part of you that must believe that on some level, just to show up. So, what was it for you that gave you faith, that got you started?
0: And is it that you know? Is it where is that today? For some of us, it was decades ago. But you're still here. You happen to be here today meditating still with some faith that this is a continued beneficial thing to do with my time and my energy. Small groups on why, you know, what what got you started? What book was it? What person inspired you? What uh, experience, maybe internally? The Buddha didn't have a teacher. He said, I had this internal faith that it must be possible to be happy, to be free from suffering. Must be possible. It was internal, not an external teacher or anything. Um, So what was it for you? Small groups, two or three people. uh, Find some people, talk about it. Each person, just take a couple minutes. I read Siddhartha. (laughs) I read (laughs) Be Here Now. I read... Dharma punks, whatever it was for you that got you going. And where is that today in your kind of level of faith? Go ahead, find groups. So we'll talk about faith after we meditate. So find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed, a posture that feels sustainable, like you can maintain it without much movement. Even if you get uncomfortable, remember that part of what we're learning is to tolerate and develop compassion for pain, discomfort. So take your time, settle in, allow your eyes to be gently closed.
1: Establishing the
0: aspiration or intention to be friendly, to be kind, accepting, patient with your own mind, with your body. An attitude of love and kindness
1: towards yourself.
0: And with this attitude of friendliness or kindness, establish mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental awareness. Beginning with the body, feel your body sitting. All of the sensations that the sitting posture creates. Contact with the chair, the cushion, the floor. Hands resting effortlessly in your lap or on your legs. Bringing awareness to the sense doors of hearing and seeing, smelling and tasting. All of these ways that we know the world, what it looks like, smells like, tastes like. (coughs) Bringing awareness to what your mind is thinking about if anything, right now. (laughs) And choosing to let all of that be in the background of your experience and directing our awareness to the sensations that the breath creates. the simple narrow focus of mindfulness of breathing. How do you know the breath? What does it feel like? What's the texture, the duration? Bring a interest, a curiosity to the sensations of your breath. Each time the attention wanders back into thinking, just acknowledge it, maybe note, name, planning or remembering, worrying, whatever the mind is doing. Without judgment, allow those thoughts to continue. As you bring your attention back to the body Breathing. Let the thoughts be in the background, the foreground of our awareness, redirected over and
1: over to the body breathing.
0: It's said that the breath itself can reveal the Dharma, the truth. Pay attention to your breath with this kind of openness to the wisdom that the breath can teach you. The truth of impermanence revealed with each beginning, middle, and end of each half-breath, breathing in, breathing out.
1: The truth of the
0: impersonal nature of this body as the body breathes all by itself. Just as the heart beats, the lungs breathe, the mind thinks, and we tend to take it so personally. You can choose to stay with the breath. Or you can expand the Buddha's instructions continued. He encouraged us to become more open and inclusive of the other sense doors. Observing how thoughts arise and pass just as a breath comes and goes. Sounds, smell, taste, images, appearing and sustaining
1: and departing.
0: Mindfulness becomes an open, inclusive awareness. There's no distractions, just what's happening. Whether it's a sound that's taking your attention or a thought. Observe how the mind proliferates its views and opinions. Fantasies,
1: hopes, and fears
0: arising and passing through awareness. something calls for your attention, investigate it. If it's a thought, acknowledge, is it a plan or a memory? Is it a painful thought? Is it suffering? Is it a pleasant thought? If it's a sensation in the body, is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? Likewise with the other sense doors, investigate the feeling tone, not just what's happening,
1: but how it feels.
0: are you paying attention to right now and is it pleasant or unpleasant and can you meet anything unpleasant that's arising with acceptance turn towards the painful emotions and thoughts sensations
1: with kindness perhaps
0: softening the belly, the jaw, shoulders, relaxing into discomfort.
1: When our experience is pleasant,
0: turning towards the pleasure, investigating the impermanent nature, the necessity of letting go, allowing it to arise and pass without getting attached or clinging, without creating suffering around the impermanent nature of pleasure. Let go as much as you can in this moment. I don't much like the term faith. I don't know how you feel about it. Um, When people say faith, I tend to think that they're saying You should have blind belief in something that's probably not true. Religion uses the term faith to say, like, don't question it. (laughs) Just believe this shit that doesn't make sense. but it is used in Buddhism. And I think it's used um, in a bit of a different way than we're used to in the kind of uh, Western religions where faith is demanded. And um, one of the first things after the Siddhartha Gautama, who we call the Buddha, uh, left home, left his privileged life, his life of abundance and money and power and prestige and his inheritance, and walked away from it because he said, "I had a a, a core." feeling that um something was missing that i had everything that was supposed to make me happy and uh it wasn't working i was unsatisfied i was um unhappy i was uneasy um and he said i i just had this core sense that there had to be a way to live life where you could be at peace where you could be content, where you could be free from suffering, dissatisfaction, uneasiness, um, and, and be at, you know, at ease in and, and your own being. And I didn't know how to do that. Nobody around me knew how to do that. And you know, I looked at all of the, my parents and all of the people in the castles that I grew up in, and they had all of the money and power and all of that. They weren't very happy. And I wanted to find that. I wanted, and there was something in him that had confidence. And maybe that's a better word than faith. Confidence. Uh, And he said, I didn't know for sure. And more that it was like a hypothesis. Like a, um, is it possible to be happy? To be peaceful? To be content? To not suffer? He said, I had a sense that I think it must be. I'm going to learn how to do that. Nobody around me knows how to do it. Um, So I'm going to go seek the people that claim to know the path to freedom from suffering, the path to peace. And he went forth into homelessness. And renounced the material world, seeking a spiritual solution, convinced that there was no material solution. Now, this is a interesting point for us to reflect on, sort of where you're at in this sort of level of uh, uh, conviction about a material solution Do you think you can, you still think you can maybe buy if you have enough money, things, power, attention that you, you know, uh, for whatever reason he felt pretty clear pretty early on that there's not an external refuge, that it was something that he was going to have to find, through a spiritual and internal practice, training the heart, the mind, uh, rather than something that uh, could be purchased or, or experienced based in uh, sense pleasures. I think it's such a blessing if you uh, know that there's no uh, material or sensual solution as long as we're still in some level of confusion that yeah you know if i had enough (laughs) if if i had enough then i'd be happy enough stuff enough savings enough wealth enough pleasure attention Success, if I was successful enough, then I'd be totally at ease, completely satisfied. So anyways, he, he convinced early on, went out, sought teachings and um and had the you know openness the open mindedness the confidence maybe even the faith that there's people out there that can teach me something i want to learn to meditate i want to learn yoga i want to learn you know whatever it is i want to learn and so he he sought that and this is 2600 years ago ancient india and there's a bunch of gurus around so he's like well who's the best guru in town He went and found the gurus around that were supposedly these enlightened beings that were, these are the wisest, these are the dopest spiritual teachers ever. And uh, studied with them and said like, okay, let's teach me. Let me learn it. Let me practice it. Let me try it. And um, had this experience several times where then the teacher would say, I've taught you everything I know. And you're enlightened. You got it. You, 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 know, you can meditate. You, you've got this thing. And so um, you don't need to keep going. You can, we can like, be teachers together. Two, two different gurus said, like, I've taught you everything that I know. And you're so adept at meditation and that we should just like rule together. Start, you know, like we got this killer cult. Let's just go. And you're like, you're my number two. Uh, And Siddhartha, both times that that happened, you know, looked into his own heart and said, you know, what you've taught me has been useful. Primarily concentration-based meditations. Very useful. Helped me experience bliss. Helped me experience joy. It alleviated all of the suffering in my mind my experience, temporarily. When I was meditating, I fucking dissolved into rainbows and it was amazing. But when I stopped meditating, my self-centeredness, my clinging and my aversion returned. And what you had taught me did not uproot the clinging self-centeredness and aversion that is the cause of this uneasiness this suffering, this unhappiness. Temporarily meditating it away is not what I'm looking for. Not looking for an experience that gives me a temporary relief. I'm looking for a way of being in an ordinary life where I don't suffer. Not just when I'm deeply concentrated. Until so he continued on and continued on and eventually discovered mindfulness on his own. Nobody taught him it. Nobody mindfulness did not exist. Most of you are aware of this. The Siddhartha created mindfulness, discovered it, whatever you want to call it, call it. But he he came up with it through trial and error. He's like, concentration's good, but doesn't quite get you there. Not paying attention, he's like, what if I pay attention in an open way? And, The difference between mindfulness and concentration is a little bit like what we're doing in meditation tonight. We're concentrating on the breath. Pay attention to your breath, ignore everything else. First 15 minutes of the instructions, I was encouraging you, keep coming back to your breath, ignore your mind. Second 15 minutes of our 30 minute sit, I said, open to your sense doors, open to your mind, observe it all, no such thing as a distraction. Stop concentrating away what your mind is doing and observe it. Be mindful, present time, non judgmental awareness of your whole being. And not just what's happening, but is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? to see the impermanent and the impersonal and the unsatisfactory nature of everything that happens in our minds and our hearts and our bodies. So, you know, it's a different talk. Mindfulness. He discovers mindfulness. And mindfulness leads him to liberation, to enlightenment. He said the concentration was helpful and I use it to still the mind, and then I use mindfulness to investigate the nature of the mind. And, uh, uh, and it was mindfulness really that led to compassion. So when I turned towards my pain, rather than concentrating it away, I learned to be tolerant and compassionate towards pain by facing it. When I turned towards the impermanent nature of pleasure, I learned non-attachment. To pleasure, rather than concentrating it away. So there's that epic scene that in some way this painting behind me of the Buddha uh, represents, where seven years, and then he's practicing alone after the asceticism, and he's practicing alone, and he takes this vow towards it. He's like, I'm so close to freedom. My suffering is decreasing and decreasing and decreasing, but I'm still pretty identified with like, I am the meditator. <laughs> I am spiritual. Still a little attached to pleasure, a little averse to pain. said, so I'm so close, but I'm still suffering some. And he sat under the Bodhi tree. It's this sort of archetypal, mythological scene of the Buddha under the Bodhi tree, this ficus, this massive tree, and he's sitting there. He's I'm just gonna stay here until I get liberation or death. (laughs) So so fucking American. (laughs) (laughs) Liberty or death. Liberation. And he's sitting and he's he reports later, while I was sitting my mind attacked me with craving, with lust. Part of my mind that felt threatened by my liberation said, you know, quit being mindful. Think about sex. Part of my mind, the ego, the self, whatever we want to call it said, stop being mindful. Think about violence. How about some resentments? How about fuck those people? The others, the enemies, the, He said, Mara, this part of his mind attacked with violence and anger and lust. And then the final attack, and he he was able, he's like, but I fucking killed it. It He's like, Mara came, my my mind attacked with lust, disinterest. I knew the impermanent nature of sensuality, that it's a dead end, that it's not the source of happiness. And I met it with non-attachment. Let it arise knew it as a thought, let it pass. He said, violence came, met it with compassion. I was able to just meet the painful thoughts and feelings with, oh, this is painful to have these thoughts and feelings. It's calling for compassion. It's calling for forgiveness. It's calling for a loving, kind relationship. And when Mara, that part of the confused part of our minds, and this is, Universal, we all have our own internal confused parts of our minds, call it Mara, if you like. The Mara attacked with uh, doubt, self-doubt, and with, um, with fear and, and doubt. And, uh, and Mara said to him,
1: uh, everybody's suffering, right? Like, why are you special? Why, are you, why do you feel worthy of
0: happiness and ease and well-being in this world of such great confusion and ignorance? Why do you think you get to be the only person that's not suffering? You, you know, who, do, who the fuck do you think you are? You ever say that to yourself? Even meditating sometimes, you ever feel a little indulgent of like, wow, I'm fucking just being a little self-indulgent over here meditating that part of your mind that feels like, Don't just sit there, do something.
1: Be productive. Go help some people. That's Mara too. And that's sort of the Mara attacks. And who do you think you are?
0: And this image of the Buddha touching down, the hand pointed down, if you can see it over here behind me. It's a traditional image. The Buddha sitting there, one hand in his lap, one hand, touching the earth, and it said that this was his reply, and I think it's connected with faith, of that um, confidence and faith that says, and the, the, what that means is like, I'm not special, I just belong, I'm touching, I'm part of this, part of these four elements, just like all of us, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else, I'm touching the earth because we're all connected to the earth, Nothing special over here. Every living being has Buddha nature. Every living being has the ability to see through the confused, suffering making of the human mind,
1: the human condition. It's not a special quality. It's not a. It's innate
0: potential within all of us. And he says it's. You know, I touched the earth for the earth to bear witness and to just say, I belong to this earth.
1: And all of us that are belonging to this earth have this ability. And after that, he's free from suffering for the rest of his life. He's like, I forget, early 30s, I think. And then he lives to like 80.
0: He gets like 40 years of an adult life without suffering at all, reportedly. This is what separates us from the Buddha. We're still suffering at our experience, taking it personal, attached, aversive, He he reports, and Buddhism (laughs) reports, he said, for the rest of my life after that, I never took Mara personally again. I never met pain with aversion again. I never met pleasure with clinging again. I had developed the ability to consistently meet pleasure with non-attached appreciation, to meet pain with compassion, and to see clearly the nature of my mind Uh, and have discernment of what thoughts were wise and trustworthy and wisdom, and what thoughts were ignorant and mara and not worth being identified with. The impersonal nature of the mind and the discernment that this impersonal mind has both wisdom and ignorance in it. He didn't say now my mind only experiences wholesome thoughts all of the time he says mara keeps coming back i talked about this in fear last week mara that ignorant part of our mind continues to exist even after enlightenment this is both good and bad news i think
1: good news because it makes enlightenment possible Bad news because shit, I gotta still deal with my own fucking
0: mind. And the negative thoughts and the aversions and the, it's not gonna just go away. It's not a lobotomy. You're hoping that meditation was a lobotomy. And that if you just meditated enough, your mind would like only good shit for the rest of your life. The Buddha said, no more suffering, but I still had, cravings and aversions, and I still had all this physical pain. The end of suffering was not the end of difficulties. The community was a fucking mess, as all communities are. (laughs) People were fighting for power. He had a cousin that was constantly trying to murder him. He was accused of all kinds of shit that he didn't do. I mean, he had to live through And he said, I just didn't suffer about it because I had mindfulness. And I saw the impersonal nature of the reactive tendency of our human condition. And I was no longer reactive. Compassion was my response.
1: Non-attachment was my response. Not taking it personal was my response. So I was going on a tangent there to bring us to
0: the part of the story where after, his, so he's, he's awake and he's gonna go find his friends that were practicing asceticism with him. He said, I'm, I'm awake and I wanna share this with uh, these other guys that I know that were meditating with me in the forest. And, and before he gets there and before he formulates the Dharma into Four Noble Truths and an Eightfold Path. The truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the end of suffering being directly possible in this lifetime through our own efforts, not based on a divine intervention or some sort of external source, but our own mind training. And the Eightfold Path of... Understanding reality as it is and having wise intentions, actions, speech, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. This path. Also, different talk, but most of you familiar. Before he teaches that, he goes and he's walking to find these guys. And they're... I don't know how far it is from Bodh Gaya, the place of his enlightenment, to... Outside of Varanasi Sarana. And um, but it's it's a distance. It's like a I've taken the, I've done it on the train before, and it's uh, several hours on a train, like 10 hours, 12 hours. Some of those Indian trains can be kind of slow too, but I would think it would be a little bit like if you got enlightened in Venice and then you were gonna walk to San Francisco. <laughs> I got some homies up in the Bay Area I got to share the good news with. So I'm going to walk up there. Took him several days. And on the walk, it's probably, that seems about right, right, Maros? That's about the distance. It's like, you know, I don't know. It feels like that to me. It's a few hundred miles. And he's reflecting, okay, I'm going to teach them. I'm going to give them four noble truths. I'm going to. But first there's that like, okay, I, I'm here, I'm free, I'm not suffering. This is what I've been looking for my whole life, a sense of ease. A relationship to my mind that no matter what it throws at me, no matter how Mara attacks,
1: chilling, at ease, not taking it personal, discernment,
0: compassion the confused parts of the mind. Compassion for the other confused people in the world,
1: which is everyone else. <laughs> everyone else. And he reflects, um, he said, how do I get here? He said, the first thing was,
0: and this brings me my long-winded way to, to the, the point of this, which is
1: The first thing was that I had faith that it was possible. I I was inspired. I was confident.
0: I was. I believed that it must be possible to experience a sense of pervasive and, uh, you know, not just a meditative experience, but a way of living where I don't suffer. I believed that that must be possible. I, was, I felt confident that it must be possible. I had faith. And I feel like a big part, of it, when, we, I, when I think of his story, that self uh, faith in his own knowing, because remember he had these gurus that were telling him, you got there, this is enlightenment. If you can meditate and experience the dissolving rainbow body of bliss, you're enlightened. And he was like, no, I was just high. Tripping balls is not enlightenment. That's just being high. I, don't, I, want, I want something that's normalized my everyday
1: ordinary experience. Said, I had faith that it was
0: possible. And that faith led me to effort, seeking, studying, practicing, going on the retreat, studying with the learning the yoga, learning the meditation, learning the scriptures, and questioning all of it. And that's where this sort of in Buddhism is a little bit different um, because
1: of his. A healthy skepticism. Where he's like, don't, he's like, I didn't believe my teachers. And then as he started teaching,
0: he was really insistent that the students, he said, don't believe me.
1: You have to find out for yourself. You have to know this directly for yourself.
0: Don't have faith in the four noble truths. These are practices to be experienced directly and have faith
1: in your own direct experience, not the scriptures, not the teachings, not the...
0: One of my favorite, and I'm, I've kind of ruined it by what I just said, but one of my favorite teachings is after some years while he's um, teaching... He comes to this town, this village, uh, because he spends the rest of his life just wandering from town to town, uh, teaching, sharing the Dharma. Not knocking on doors and saying, like, we've got the good news. (laughs) Would you like a copy of the Watchtower? (laughs) It's not proselytizing like that. He's showing up and just saying, like, I'm here if you're interested. I'll be down at Oakwood Park if you want to hear a Dharma talk. Everyone's welcome, but uh, not kind of trying to recruit, just like,, um, yep. Yeah. yeah, Buddha's down there at Oakwood
1: Park. Let's go check him out But he comes to this um, town, the Kalamas, we call it,
0: you know, Venice and um and the kalamas are skeptical because and somebody actually confronts the buddha and says like okay we're going to come to oakwood park but last year last week there was some other guru here and the week before that there was some like it's the circuit you know like my yoga teacher told me this and you know my over at unity they told me this and over at you know this church they told me that and And this skepticism of like, why should we believe you? Every guy's coming through Oakwood Park telling us about how enlightened he is and about how they know the full truth and about how if we just believe
1: them, we can get enlightened too. Some donations some you know, support. And the Buddhas reply to this
0: Kalama community, um, and they say, why should we, who should we believe? It's confusing. There's so many teachings, so many gurus, so many paths.
1: Should I be a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, or a Buddhist? Or a Taoist? Or should I go on the red road or the middle path? Or... Should I go to AA or Refuge? They both say they're the best. And the Buddha's response, and I I like this, it's just what I was saying before. He said, trust yourself. He said, don't believe anything just because it's what religion
0: says, including Buddhism. Don't believe this stuff just because I've said these are the truths. Reflect on it, digest it, try it. Don't believe it because it's in the Upanishads or it's in the Bhagavad Gita or because it's in the Bible or the Quran or, you know, this is before the Bible and the Quran, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw that in there. Don't believe it because it's a religious tradition. Don't believe it because your parents believed it, because it's the family tradition. All my people have believed this shit, so I guess it's true. I said, reject what other people believe, but check it out. Find out for yourself. In my early practice, I feel like I did this a little bit. You know, I got sober and in an AA. They said, you have to have a spiritual experience. And uh, I was already practicing Buddhism a little bit, but I was like, okay, well, I've rejected the Judeo-Christian Islamic uh, kind of theism, um, but without much investigation. So I was like, I'm going to read the Bible. Let's check it out. I'm going to read the Quran. Let's check it out. I'm going to, you know, and like did a little bit like reflecting and investigating and, and trying it on. And I went to some zikrs, and I went to some temples and I went to some churches and to get a sense of like, okay, what's being taught here? It could it be helpful. Will it help me end my suffering? Will it help me recover? And that's sort of the Buddha's encouragement. Try it, see, reflect on it. Does it make sense? And does your own direct experience of this meditation technique or this renunciation or this Path lead you to the direct
1: experience of less suffering in your life. And when you, and this uh, bringing us back
0: to faith, he said, and have faith in your own direct experience of what is freeing you from the causes of suffering. Not a temporary avoidance, not a spiritual bypass blind faith, magical thinking, but a direct embodied experience of I'm having more compassion for my pain and the pain of others. Verified faith, I'm having less clinging in the suffering of of clinging and attachment. Verified through your own direct experience of having developed
1: those skills, those abilities, that wisdom. So mostly Buddhism is is on the side of um,
0: encouraging a healthy skepticism and a verified faith, when we say faith, a confidence that's based in your own experience. Now, the one piece that I'll say, and I don't know what he said to the Kalamas, um, you have to do a, a fairly deep dive in my experience, into Buddhist practice before you decide whether it works or not. I've talked to so many people who say I can't meditate because they tried it once. <laughs> I tried that meditation stuff. I can't do it. Which is a little bit like saying like I tried to play a violin and it sounded terrible (laughs) or I tried to fly an airplane and I crashed (laughs) it or whatever example of trying to do something that takes training and skills and long-term practice in order to be able to, you know, unless you're a virtuoso or something to actually be able to make music on the violin or to, you know, fly the airplane with the 57 buttons and, knobs and you got to know where it all is. So you study Buddhism, you learn the teachings, you practice the meditation. Asking for a lot, but my own opinion is like, if you have a sincere practice for a few years and are sincere about it and really feel like it's not working, it hasn't alleviated, you know, lessened my suffering whether that's a, you know, whatever practice it is. So in order to verify whether something's working or not, we have to do a deep dive, not a surface intellectual rejection
1: based on your views and opinions (laughs) and conditioning. So faith, Confidence,
0: that list of five where he said, I had faith, and the faith inspired me to do the work, the effort. So I'd assume you're all here, and uh, because you have some faith in the Dharma, we're talking about Buddhism, the Dharma. Curious, put a number on it, one to 10. How much faith do you have in the Dharma based on your experience with it so far? Don't tell me, but get it in your mind. Faith, I believe this path will take me to where I want to go. Maybe some of you are like at a 10 total and verified out of your own practice. You've seen the progress. You've seen what's happening for you. Now, the second thing he said was that that faith led to effort. And I've done this in class a few times, and I think it's really interesting to then think about your faith. And maybe you're let's say you're at a
1: eight. And now look at your effort. Is your effort at an eight? Do you meditate every day? Do you make time for retreats every year? Do you practice the five precepts, even on the weekends?
0: Are you studying? Are you being of service? Are you practicing generosity? Are you, are you engaged? And it can be quite interesting and help us, I think, in some way to be like, wow, I really believe in Buddhism. And I'm like at an eight up here, but my half-assed practice is at like a two. Uh, On the 1 to 10 scale. And what do I need to do to bring up my effort so that it's more around my beliefs, around my confidence? I'm uh, I'm not another one of those armchair Buddhists who read the books and I fucking believe in Buddhism. Buddhism's awesome. But meditation,
1: not so much. Fifth precept, mm mm-mm. Okay, we're just about out of time. I'll take one or two
0: questions, if there are any, about this stuff. Please. Hi, my name's Hector. My first Buddhist movie, but I've always been curious. And my question is, how long has Buddhism been around? The question is, how long has Buddhism been around? About two thousand six hundred years. As around now it's imprecise on some level um, but it's around 2600 years and you know they celebrate the kind of birth of the Buddha the enlightenment of the Buddha and the death of the Buddha which is an 80 year about an 80 year span so give or take 2600 years it's more like 2,000 anybody know the Buddhist year on the calendar it's 2500 uh. 57 or something like that i don't know the number but it's it's right around there around 2600 if you round it up so you know 600 years before christ over a thousand years before muhammad you know as far as world religions go it's um contemporary with what's happening in greece with like i think plato and It's contemporary with what's happening in China with Lao Tzu and the creation of the Dao, Daoism. There's interesting shit happening philosophically on the planet 2,600 years ago. Buddhism's born, Daoism's born. A lot of the Greek uh,
1: philosophers are having some interesting thoughts about humanity and the self and. Please said that the Buddha um,
2: was able to recognize that Mara after his like enlightenment was there and that there was two voices like the um, accepted that Mara's voice was always there and that it was still like some ignorance and then the voice of discernment. But did you mean that he was able, as the voices
0: were coming up, to decipher which one was ignorance and which one was discernment as they were happening? Or
2: only after it happened and maybe he was able to forgive himself that they happened. Like it wasn't during that.
0: Um, the way that it's talked about, I don't know if you can at home hear the question was um, could the Buddha discern when Mara was arising in real time? Or was it like in, in reflection of, um, oh shit, that was, I was stuck in some ignorance? <laughs> uh, the way that it's talked about is that Mara comes and is sort of personified as this being. Looks a little bit like that guy. And um, and Mara comes, it's that ignorant part of the mind. And he in real time says, I see you Mara. And that there's a real time relationship to like, this is not a trustworthy thought. I'm awake, I'm mindful, this is not a trustworthy thought. I see this as ignorance arising in my mind, and I'm not taking the bait. I used to take it personal and suffer about it. Now I'm being really mindful and seeing the arising and passing of confusion in my mind.
1: We'll leave it there for tonight. It's about almost nine. Maybe next week I'll
0: talk about effort, but tonight I'll put out a pitch for retreat. My own experience, uh, especially when you were talking about verifying how the meditative path works, Uh, some great coming to class, great doing a daily practice, but taking time out of your life to go into silent uh, practice for several days. Uh, My own experience is that I benefited more and had more verification of like, this shit really works when I've, you know, gone on retreats and I've been on dozens and dozens and dozens of retreats over the years. Um, And I want to invite you to this retreat that Against the Stream is hosting seven nights up in Big Bear. Um, It's just about a month away, a little over a month. It starts on uh, October 9th so um, there are uh, somebody in the community has given a, a generous donation for some scholarships. It's $750 is the, the rates to come to the seven night retreat. That money is just to support the to pay the rent on the uh, retreat center. And somebody gave some scholarship money. So anybody that can't afford 750 for the week, but wants to come, has the time, has the inspiration, the motivation to come, we're gonna be able to do, I think 10 spots for $250, which is unheard of. Like most retreat centers are $200 a night. You can come to this seven day retreat for $250. So um, really consider it. Look at, your, look at the schedule, look at, you can register online from wherever you're coming from. I know that there are some people um, that are online that were asking about scholarships. I'm announcing officially. Scholarships are actually up. They're on the website already. You can register now and, and get, get a spot for the retreat for 750 Pay the 750 if you can afford it. Don't take the scholarship money from the people who need it. But if you need it and it can benefit you and it'll allow you to come to the retreat, then take the scholarship and come. Um, That's my pitch for the retreat. Class is done by donation against the stream is supported by your donations. Um, It's an important part of our practice to practice generosity. It's intentional that we don't charge you at the door or the Zoom door to come to class. Uh, but please take it seriously as part of your practice to be generous to, to make a donation. Um, the suggested donation for Monday nights is between 15 and twenty dollars. If you can afford that please give it. If you need to give less because of your financial situation and five dollars is what makes sense to you or ten dollars, give whatever makes sense what feels good, what feels supportive of uh, of what we're doing here so that we can pay the rent and the you know, insurance and all of the stuff that goes along with having a meditation center, please pitch in. whether We pay for this together. And uh, I'm committed to keeping it donation-based, but your donations are necessary to do that. So thank you for, for your generosity
1: in advance. May any goodness that comes from the practice and discussion of the Buddha Dharma
0: be gathered and shared with each other. May each of us have more and more verified faith. May we get as free as we can get in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet for the benefit of all living beings. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against
1: the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.